Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We talked today to Mark Chalmers, CEO of Energy Fuels. We wanted his feedback on the US Department of Energy's Restoring America's Competitive Nuclear Energy Advantage uh, proposal document policy document, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he talks to us about some of the implications of what he's seeing in there, what it means for his company. Uh, and of course, you know, we talk about the macro for the nuclear industry as a whole. We also talk a little bit about the recent announcement that he made with regards to rare earth. So a lot packed into half an hour. So enjoy the podcast. Hey, Mark, how you doing, sir? Very good, Matt. How are you? I, I'm, I'm fine, but I haven't had the kind of couple of days that you've had since yesterday. So we, we uh, got a bit of an announcement from the US Department of Energy yesterday. Um, how's that been for you? Well, it's been a wild, it was a wild day, that's for sure. There's a lot of shares that transacted, I think, uh, across the globe. You know, it's not very often that you're in a sector that um, uh, can be pushed around by things like uh, a, a report from the U.S. government. But um, look at the interest that, um, you know, it, it kind of, uh, and how it played out um, in the last two days, everywhere in the uranium space in the world. So, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm kind of proud that uh, at least some of our involvement, you know, may have, um, you know, kind of created some interest in the space. Well, it's, it's certainly done that. I mean, since the moment you submitted the Section 232 petition through to now, I guess the uranium space has been holding its breath, unfortunately, almost figuratively, um, and, and literally in some cases, holding its breath, trying to work out what was going to happen. And that, that finished the end of, uh, in the middle of last year. The Nuclear Fuel Working Group then put its head together or heads together to try and come up with the recommendation that it did yesterday. So this discussion document and recommendation was talking about how to restore America's competitiveness in the nuclear fuel uh, and, and I think nuclear fuel advantage they use, but the, the competitiveness globally. It was a very bold document in terms of the macro, but was it what you were expecting? Well, look, we're, we're pleased with the document, um, Matt, and, um, you know, it's probably um, the boldest position the U.S. government has taken on the front end of a nuclear fuel cycle in decades, okay? Uh, it doesn't have a lot of details in it, but I think you got to go back to the fact that it is a policy document, okay? Uh, you know, there's still things that have to be uh, filled in here, um, but there was some very strong language about the importance of the whole nuclear fuel cycle, uh, including uranium mining and how uranium mining had to be supported, uh, needed assistance. Um, so look, as I said, we're pleased with the document. Uh, yeah, would we all like more details? Yes, we would. But um, you know, we're proud that we had a significant role in getting the United States government to take a policy position that had been taken for decades. So, um, yeah, we're happy with the document, we're, but we're awaiting more details. Okay, I know you've just come off of a, a call with shareholders and people listening in uh, this afternoon. Um, what were the kinds of 
questions that you were fielding. Were people concerned um, that this document has done nothing for you? There's no clarity about what it means for energy fuels. What, what, were, they, what were they concerned about? Yeah, look, look, I think that, um, you know, initially some that reviewed the report thought it was didn't have a lot of detail in it and they were disappointed with that. Um, um, you know, and but I do think that, that, you know, once we kind of explain to people that it's a policy position, it's a stepping stone, a very significant stepping stone, uh, they become more comfortable with that. Um, you know, I think that, you know, some of the questions are, are, are just, well, so how does it all work? And, and we say, well, we don't know yet, but we think that it's, it's, it's focused on, um, you know, keeping the front end, um, you know, alive and prosperous, but it's also not trying to um, overdo it too. You know, I think that, um, I think there's a focus or will be a focus. And again, I'm speculating a little bit that, you know, it should be focused on proven existing producers, existing infrastructure. Um, and, uh, but it also says that they will review it, uh, you know, periodically to make sure that they're achieving the objectives. So it's really kind of a policy roadmap for the whole front of the fuel cycle, recognizing you need all the steps in that process, uranium mining, conversion and enrichment, but you also need a healthy nuclear fleet to have all those legs covered. And that was the purpose of the Nuclear Fuel Working Group. It was a more holistic approach than the Section uh, 232. No, that, I mean, that, that's, that's for sure. But with, you know, that macro picture that they've, they've painted, I mean, we'll focus on what it means, to, you know, domestically for us. It means that they're trying to get, as you say, their house in order for the first time in, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, and they do talk about, you know, uh, taking China and Russia head on. And I, and I, get, I get all of that. It's, um, it's a very ambitious program. Those ambitious programs cost money. They take time. They're a huge amount of planning. Uh, working out the economics of these things. So me as an investor, people watching as an investor is thinking, well, what does that mean for U.S. mining companies today? And I think some of them have latched on to the uh, phrase or the, the line was used, direct purchase starting 2020. Is that going to be beneficial to you? Do you understand what it means? Well, look, we, we don't entirely know what it means, but we ex we think it, yeah, 2020, we don't think that was an accident. The budget um, uh, package that was submitted by the president for the 10-year program was starting in 2021. So we're asking and still advocating for immediate action, perhaps through some executive um, process, you know, that, that, that may be available to the president. And in our case, and, and probably in UR Energy's case, matter of fact, I, I know in their case, uh, our two companies have inventory. And we would like to be able to sell that inventory at a premium price this year in 2020. Um, you know, we think that's the best way to stimulate uh, those um, particularly existing producers uh, because we've held that inventory because you know, it didn't have fair value in the marketplace. And, um, you know, that could give us a huge boost in the, in the near term. So we hope for purchases as a first step, but we'll see, we don't know. 
It also refers to at least two U.S. producers. I mean, you are energy and yourself are the petitioners. Do you think they are referring to you specifically, or was that just a throwaway phrase? Could be anyone. Look, I don't think it's specific to the two companies. It says at least two. Could be more than that. Um, but I do think that you know when you look at the nuclear fuel stockpile and the demand that that would have, uh, you know, it, I don't believe it's been meant to be split eight or ten ways for eight or ten producers. I think it needs to be fairly selective, uh, focused on a few producers. Um, I think that um, uh, you know it, it certainly should be focused on you know some ISR production, but I also think it should be focused on White Mesa as the only conventional mill in the United States. And the fact that not only is it the only conventional mill, it's the only um, primary vanadium uh, facility, production facility, and that the other benefits that that project has now or potentially could have in the future. Okay, so when you, when you talk to Monica about premium, you're talking about a premium to today's price, presumably, if you're, if you're looking for a number, what number are you, are you picking? Well, look, at the, the spot price is up to about $33 today, I believe, which is certainly much improved from the $24.25, but it's still not high enough um, to provide for sustainable production. Um, you know, we have always said and, re- and continue to say that the fair price of a pound of uranium produced in the Western world is $60 a pound or greater. Um, that's a sustainable price for proven uh, low-cost producers. Many companies cannot produce uranium for that in the world. Matter of fact, a lot of them cannot produce uranium for that in a sustainable way. So look, we think it should be have a six handle on it plus. Uh, we think 65 is sort of the, the, the real number. We can produce uranium for less than that. Um, you know, some of our, our projects like, you know, the Canyon mine uh, can uh, be much, much lower than that. but you know, we've had these assets for a number of years and we don't want to high grade them uh, and not get the margin that we deserve on these assets and the money that's been spent on those assets over the course of many, many years. So, um, you know, even companies like Cameco, you know, they don't talk up with, you know, with four handles on uh, a lot of their production. They might uh, sign some contracts in the forties if they can trade into them. So, um, yeah, we need sustainable Western world costs and values uh, on the inventory. Okay, so if you um, if you are to get that, you need to be part of a dialogue, part of a process um, where there's some form of negotiations, like an explanation as to why you need the price that you want. Um, are conversations like that already in the works because I'm looking at this this book this policy document I think it's a great phrase that you used earlier it's a policy document it's going to need to engage stakeholders you being one of them uranium uh, uranium miners across the earth being 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 one of them have they set those up I mean how how quickly are things going to get into move into motion have you any idea that they're even going to do that yeah Look, and I think um, you know, there, I think that getting this document out kind of sets the stage for to going into more details. Um, you know, so it hasn't really started yet. 
Um, personally, from our company's perspective, we like the concept of a buying schedule, which is, is how the United States bought uranium for like 30 years. It was very successful. They just basically set a price and they said, uh, you know, any company, now you start talking about, you know, two or more companies, but any company uh, that can provide uranium at a price can participate, okay. Um, we think that's the fairest way of, of doing it, even though, as I said earlier, we don't think it should be split, you know, 10 ways because um, it, it, it'll, it'll, it'll dilute it too much. But um, we think that a commitment by the government uh, over several years to purchase uranium, it's equivalent of a contract for those that can deliver. And I think that is a very straightforward, very simple way to make sure that the money spent goes to those that it can deliver. You know, there's a people out there that say they can produce economically in the United States um, uh, for $40. Now, look, we can do that. We can do that with production from Canyon, or we can do that from alternate feed. We can probably do it from, from our ISR facilities, but with no margin. So the best way to, for the government to set it up is, is to just set a price and what's available and let people compete for it. Okay. Some people don't want to compete for it. <laughs> We're fine with that. So, so, some of this, so they also talk about creating a level playing field between nuclear energy and renewable energy. I mean, do you think that applies to the uh, uranium miners or is that more to do with the re reactor side of things? I mean, who's going to be picking up these subsidies? Because I assume they're not going to stop subsidizing uh, renewable energy. So where are these subsidies going to be distributed to? Who's, who's going to be the beneficiary? Now, I'm not completely clear on that. I think they certainly made a point of um, having a fair and balanced fuel market for the nuclear reactors for, you know, um, in you know, some cases they've had to try to unfairly compete, you know, against renewables with some of the subsidies there. Uh, and look at, we're not really, you know, I'm not a believer in subsidizing industries that, that, that shouldn't survive. Um, but, you know, that's why I kind of go back to this Western world. Um, you know, the report is very focused on competition with state owned enterprises. Um, if you look at, you know, in the 60s, um, you know, many of us that, that were producing had contracts with utilities just even a year or two ago that were $60 or greater because the utilities were willing to pay that five or six or seven, eight years ago. Okay. So that was the fair price of uranium at the time before Fukushima or just after Fukushima. So, Look, at, you've got to kind of look at it into the context of the market, um, the, uh, you know, extra inventory that was available after Fukushima, you know, everything had kind of geared up and focus on the true value of what is a fair price uh, in, um, you know, fair in, in jurisdictions that have the, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the regulatory framework, safety frameworks, and what not to produce uranium responsibly. Okay, okay. Is there a little bit of you that is glad that this is finally over? You know, this is the report. This is how they have chosen to respond to the market. And now you can let the market decide, the, you know, the supply demand fundamentals, 
decide how uranium gets priced. Yeah, look, look, look. We we see this as a uh, a big step in the right direction, Matt. Um, it's not the only step, as you said. There's going to be a lot of work behind the scenes on, you know, the devils in the details, as they say. Um, so we know there's a lot of work to do here, but we are glad they've released the report, and it echoes what we've been saying for several years now. Right. So the U.S. government gets it. So that's 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 fantastic. But I'm trying to wonder. Well, I'm wondering what it means now for utility bars. It gives them maybe some comfort that there's a plan in place. Potentially, I know it's got to get through Congress. It's got to get financing approvals and so forth. So it's it's going, but it's going through a process. But they have finally set out a policy document. So that's great. But what are utility bars now thinking in terms of this massive? burgeoning gap between supply and demand numbers. We've been going through some of these, you know, the UXC numbers, trade tech numbers, estimates, which are bouncing around the market about what that gap is. But whichever number you listen to, it's big. So when do we think we're going to start seeing utilities recognizing that they're going to just step up to the plate and actually pay more for uranium? Um, you know, I think it's important to sort of separate the, um, you know, some of the recommendations in this report uh, from the commercial market. For example, the nuclear fuel stockpile is U.S. government material. It's basically an obligated material that they can use for their purposes, not necessarily in power generation, uh, but they could use it for power generation. You know, I, I think that one of the issues that, that we've been addicted to foreign uranium, particularly state-owned enterprise uranium, a lot of utilities have gotten addicted to the low price. And, um, you know, I, I think that's dangerous. And um, they've done that for a number of years. Um, I think that certain things like, um, you know, the Russian suspension agreement, which is mentioned in the report, is currently being renegotiated. Um, that's becoming more focused on enrichment capabilities. Um, and I think that that's where the utilities want the cheapest product they can get enriched. Um, and so, you know, it all is sort of separate, but not separate. So I don't know when the utilities, um, and I understand the utilities, some of these plants are struggling, you know, and, 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 you know, small amounts of money are, are, you know, are difficult, but, um, you know, we think that, uh, they need to have a portion of their product coming from Western producers. And um, right now, that is really not the case. Um, you know, there's some residual contracts that are out there, but, um, you know, they're going to be falling off in the next year or two completely. And we cannot just say we're going to get it the cheapest um, uh, producers, these state-owned enterprises, primarily in Russia and Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, and growing in China. Okay, so they're they're addicted to cheap prices, and they've got a, a aging uh, reactor fleet, which is you know I can see you know but those are, those are not good things. But how do you think they are looking at? We will come back to the policy document. They haven't got the reassurances that they want that they're going to receive subsidies for their aging fleet, either. So yeah. that's going to affect their decision making, surely. Look, look, I think some of the, the stronger statements in the report were, you know, you know, support for FERC to try to level the playing field for them and everything. And I think that's fantastic. I think it's great. And, 
And I look at, I don't want any of their reactors to go out of business uh, um, because of the price of fuel. Now, the, the price of fuel is not the big issue for these, these reactors, you know? Um, I mean, sure, it's a piece, a very small piece, but a lot of it is the markets they're operating in. And, and look at, you know, um, you know, the natural cost of natural gas is so low and, and there's a lot of different factors. So it's a lot bigger than uh, the front end of the nuclear fuel cycle. It's just a small piece of it. But I understand it is a piece. And if they can manage that um, to the best of their abilities, they're going to try to do that. But it should not be at the expense of losing the front end of the fuel cycle. Um, you know, I think that, um, again, you know, with the words in the report, you know, the government is saying we need all of this. We need mining conversion enrichment and a healthy nuclear uh, generating fleet as well. So the, the beauty of the report is it's holistic and it's saying we need it. You know, it's proven fact that um, there is no such thing as a sustainable nuclear a fuel cycle in any country without a level of government support. And a lot of that support disappeared over the last couple decades because it ceased to be a priority. This report is making it a priority again. So, you know, again, I, I, I wish all the best to the utilities, but let's not get addicted to cheap. Okay. You, you've said that to me before. I know you, I know you believe it. Um, what's the next thing you're going to do? You know, next week, what's the focus for you as uh, as a business? There are things that you can control, and there are things that you can't. And again, we've talked on a few occasions before. You've got money in the bank. You, you know, you time you time that right. You've got an experienced management team. You've got three good assets. You've got a great mill. So you've got all a lot of things going for you. But what are you going to focus on next week? So you can turn on shareholders right. My number one priority for you is what. Yeah. You know, you've heard me say this multiple times. We're first and foremost a uranium producing company. So we're going to try to get more clarity out of the DOE, out of the report. It's kind of the next steps. Um, you know, we're certainly going to be advocating that, um, you know, we think that, you know, our history of producing nearly 35% of the uranium in the United States over the last 15 years should um, give us attention for the right reasons. Um, you know, but we're still going to be multitasking these other aspects of our business as well, too, but at a lesser focus than uranium business central. You know, hopefully the price of uranium will continue up, you know, to, to go up. Uh, you know, I think there's some really, uh, you know, positive signs on, um, you know, the, the, the settling out of supply demand uh, issues globally. Um, you know, it, look, in the, in the perfect world, um, um, you know, everybody can float, their boat will float because of the right reasons on the front steps of the nuclear fuel cycle right on through the whole process. But um, so, you know, we're going to try to, you know, and we're not building our company around just the government um, because we have more things to our business than, um, you know, others, you know, most others are 100% focused on uranium. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll get more certainty. We'll start to look at how we can capitalize on immediate relief from the government, selling inventories and preparing for filling, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, a significant portion of the, the, 
of the national stockpile. Okay. Well, but we'll continue working on um, our alternate feed, land cleanup, and then and, and the rare earths. We're still getting huge interest. I know people kind of go, well, why are they getting the rare earths? But, you know, this is, this is exciting for us. This is exciting for us. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to show people that we're building another complete and hopefully a significant business in the future for our shareholders. But we will always be first and foremost your rate producer. I get it. So just on that, because we talked last week about the rare earth components, which again, you know, took everyone by surprise. Um, you know, what, what sort of calls are you getting? You're getting inbound calls from rare earth companies saying, can you process? You're getting inbound phone calls from investors going, what are you doing? What, what, what kind of calls are you handling? A little bit of both, but we're getting a lot of inbounds from um, rare earth experts. Uh, we're getting inbound calls from people that have projects around the world. Um, you know, and, you know, one of the key inbounds, and I said, I said this on one of my last um, interviews with you, is that um, dealing with the uranium, thorium, and radioactive products has been a substantial impediment for a lot of these rare earth companies over decades. And to find out that all of a sudden you have a facility that's been around for 40 years and has experience in doing that and has a lot, if not all the permits to do a lot of this processing is out there and open for business. People go, you're connecting the dots. Now in the last few days, you've heard of the department of energy has released some funds to, you know, other companies that are more advanced in the rare earths or, you know, as their core business, you know, um, Linus out of Australia got a grant, um, from the government, uh, Mountain Pass um, Minerals got a grant from the government. I think these are fairly small. I don't know the exact magnitude, but you know, I think they're, I'm just guessing around $5 million or something to design, <clears throat> you know, at least some initial concepts on, you know, facilities, but, but there's various phases of these projects, of these steps. And, and, you know, we think that we are maybe a little late there, but, um, but, late, but we still have a facility that can do a lot of these things that they need to do anyway. So, um, so yeah, look, at it. it's been um, significant. And, and I don't just, I don't blink when I say that, when I say significant. Um, we're excited about it. And uh, as I said, we don't think it gets in the way of our core business. Uh, we've got a very large facility. We've got a lot of land. And we've got a, you know, supportive jurisdiction. And we've been doing it for years. You know, I think I told you we've we've already taken um, low-level material from Mountain Pass for uranium, um, from uh, Cabot, uh, uh, Fan Steel. Um, there's other rare earth, uh, and there's a few in the in the in the the, the queue uh, for the future. So we've we've been pretty close to it already with with the material we've taken from other sources for the uranium values. No, I, I have to say, I did like that story. I liked that you came up with that idea for a new revenue stream because we speak to a lot of rare earth companies who talk about, you know, you know, trying to get the rare earth um, stranglehold that China has in, in a way, but they're struggling to get all the components in place to be able to get their business up and running. So, no, I think, I think well done on that one. 
Um, be interesting to see how you move well, that. Else, yeah, if you go to the, the World Nuclear Association's website, and that's a great website, I go to it a lot, um, there's a section there on uranium in rare earths on the World Nuclear Association's website. So we're not jumping off the, the track here. Yeah. I mean, this is known. And we're just planning to capitalize it in a bigger, greater way than we have in the past. So, um, you know, when you look at, you know, back to these um, dependencies on China and Russia and uh, critical minerals and critical materials and, and all that, it just all of a sudden the band is playing pretty loud here. And if we are still first and foremost uranium company and we can complement this with even something that's on the World Nuclear Association website as a source of uranium. I've said this to you before. Why not? Why not? Why not indeed? Well, look, I know you've got a bit of work there. You were quite clear last time we spoke. You've got a bit of work to do around the economics and trying to understanding, you know, the process, the options available to you. But as soon as you start understanding those numbers, do let us know. I think it's a very exciting space. It's very high margin space. Uh, it's a space where there's a lot of people trying to work, get their economics to work. And I think you could be an important part of that. It could be a nice cog uh, to help them as well. So, yeah, stay in touch about that one for sure. Well, I'm definitely going to let you know, Matt, because, um, you know, I'm, um, you know, I mean, we've got a you know regional size organization, but I've taken very personal interest in this. I want the market to see that um, we're going to do this in a smart way and we'll align with the right kinds of people with the right expertise to show that this is not a flash in the pan this is a long-term focus uh, that we think can really help the bottom line again for our shareholders okay well mark i'm gonna let you go um because i know you've got a lot of calls lined up but uh well done i think people don't realize what you've done that you, you've got a policy document out of the u.s government for your industry which is, is no mean feat. We just need to see how it's going to benefit the industry, but also benefit you this year. Um, you know, keep pounding those doors and uh, let us know if something interesting uh, comes up, okay? Will do, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.